Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. The Atlanta Braves are the world champions. The Georgia Bulldogs are number one in the college football playoff rankings. I don't know what world we're living in, but I hope I never have to leave. As I said, thank you so much for joining me. We have a huge show, probably the longest show uh, I've had in, in quite a while. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to start with our viewing guide, get that out of the way, get you set up for what is going to be an absolutely spectacular Friday and Saturday of college football this week. Then we're going to go into our Georgia recap of the game against Missouri. We're going to talk about the college football playoff rankings. I'll tell you why I think the playoff committee uh, is playing games with the rankings right now, and we shouldn't really pay too much attention to what they're saying. And third down, we're going to talk about the quarterback controversy, staring the number one dogs in the face. And in fourth down, we are going to dig deep, deep into the game against Tennessee in Knoxville this Saturday night. So big show for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. We are entering the home stretch of the 2021 season. There's only three weeks left before championship Saturday uh, in the first weekend of December. So it just seems like everything is coming to a head. In the SEC, most teams have two conference games left and then one cupcake game mixed in. But when you look around the country and you look at the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the Big 10, It's really go time in all three of those conferences, and there are some really, really great games on tap over the next three weeks. We're going to talk in second down today about the playoff, and as I start talking about the viewing guide for this week, I think we all just need to understand the way the schedule has set up this year. The games that are still to come are the games that are going to decide everything. And it's not always like that. A lot of the times by mid-November with the 14 playoff, we kind of have a pretty clear picture of, you know, this team or this team are probably in, and then this three or four teams can still play their way in. And if this team falters, that team will be there. It's a lot more convoluted this year, but it's just because the schedule has set up to where a lot of the teams that are in contention are playing in these last three weeks. So let's start on Friday night. I I was going to start you on Thursday night, but as I am recording this, North Carolina is playing number 25 Pitt on ESPN, uh, and Pitt is taking care of business. It's 23-7 to at halftime. Um, so we'll start you on Friday night. Number six, Cincinnati. Actually, number five, Cincinnati. I didn't update my rankings here. Number five, Cincinnati on the road at South Florida. That's a 6 p.m. kickoff on ESPN2. The Bearcats moved up to number five in the most recent rankings, but they have been thoroughly unimpressive the last few weeks. Honestly, since beating Notre Dame earlier in the season, they just haven't had a convincing win, and they need one in the worst way as they travel to take on South Florida 
So again, six o'clock, kind of a weird time to start on a Friday night, but six o'clock on Friday night. On Saturday, we get it started right at the top, right at noon, number six, Michigan on the road at Penn State. Uh, the line was even earlier in the week. I think I saw today that Penn State is now a one-point underdog in this game, uh, but it is going to be a very, very close game. Penn State played Ohio State very tough last week. They play Michigan this week. They play Michigan State in two weeks to finish out the regular season. So Penn State, while they will not be representing the Big Ten East in the Big Ten Championship game, they are going to have a lot to say about who does another huge game at noon uh, over on Fox number eight Oklahoma on the road at number 13 Baylor Oklahoma still getting no love from the committee they stayed at eight they were off last week so they're coming off a bye as they head into this game the Sooners are a five and a half point favorite Oklahoma is in the stretch you know Ohio State Michigan State, Michigan, and Oklahoma have huge games over the next few weeks that will define who makes the playoff. This week, Oklahoma at Baylor. Next week, home against Iowa State. And then they finish on the road for Bedlam at Oklahoma State to to finish out the regular season. And then it is very likely that Oklahoma State and Oklahoma will turn around one week later and play again in the Big 12 championship game. So, Two huge games with big playoff implications at noon. I'll also throw in an ESPN game. Mississippi State goes on the road to play Auburn. Both of these teams are coming off losses last week. Auburn probably very disappointed in the fact that they, not just that they lost on the road at Texas A&M last week, but they played really, really poorly. The 330 slot, obviously number one Georgia on the road in Knoxville against Tennessee on CBS. We'll talk about that game in depth later in the show. So ABC, they had Michigan and Penn State to start with. They go straight into number 19 Purdue, upset-minded Purdue. They've already knocked off two top five teams so far this season. They go on the road to play the Ohio State Buckeyes, number four in this week's poll. That, like I said, on ABC. Ohio State is the 20-point favorite in this game. I don't know what to expect. Purdue got smashed a couple of weeks ago by Wisconsin. Since then, they've played really, really well. Obviously, they have played up to competition late in this, or you know, throughout this season. They beat Iowa. They just beat Michigan State last week. Can they do it again? Can they even come close? Can they hang with the Buckeyes? Or is Ohio State? coming off the big win against Penn State last week and two weeks ahead of the big game against Michigan, will Ohio State pull it out and and play well? That's going to be a very, very interesting game. At 7, you've got number 11 Texas A&M on the road at Ole Miss. Texas A&M is now in that we hope Bama loses spot. Texas A&M is one Alabama loss to Arkansas or Auburn away from playing Georgia in the SEC championship game. So that's only if they win out. They have to win this game at Ole Miss. This is a huge test for them. They played so well last week at home against Auburn. Will they be the same team going on the road this week, that game on ESPN? And then 10.30, if you are so inclined, I'll I'll give you a little Pac-12 after dark. Washington State. On the road at Oregon. That game also on ESPN. 
Oregon is must-see TV right now because they are sitting there at three with the win over Ohio State. And at this point, they are virtually a lock for the playoff if they went out. The only thing standing in their way is themselves because Oregon, much like Cincinnati, has just absolutely not played well so far this, or not so far this season. Obviously, they played well so far this season. Just the last month or so, they have just been teetering on the brink of disaster. So last week, they, they ended up beating a very poor Washington team, but they, they allowed Washington to stay in that game much longer than they should have. Obviously, they have the worst loss of all the contenders, losing to a very mediocre, eh, straight-up bad Stanford team earlier in the year. So that's what I've got for you this week, a lot of imp- playoff implications. Now, outside of what I just gave you that was centered on the playoff, there's a lot of very interesting games uh, this week. So don't just limit yourself to the ones I told you about. There was just too much, too many to talk about this week uh, unless I was going to have a two-hour show. So that's the viewing guide for this week. I hope you enjoy an excellent slate of game. As we move into first down, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about the win that Georgia had over the weekend against Missouri, 43-6. to Um yeah, I wasn't able to record a show leading into the Missouri game last week, but I think you know, I think most fans probably expected what we've come to expect from this team, a dominant defensive effort and then offense that's plenty good enough to get the job done. Coming out of that game, I, I, I just felt, I saw a stat that kind of got me thinking. So I'll give you that stat first, and that's that Georgia is the first team since 1992 to hold each of its first nine opponents under 14 points. Now, that is just really, really impressive. That's nearly 30 years of college football where there hasn't been a defense that's been this dominant. So as I started thinking about Georgia and their dominance this year, I ran some numbers. So far this season, the Dogs are winning by an average of 27.7 points per game. That number actually goes up in conference because of that close game that Georgia played first week against Clemson. In the SEC, Georgia is winning by 32.3 points per game. Now, how does that compare to the last two national champions who were both from the SEC? 2020 Alabama, that was an all-SEC schedule in the regular season, 32.7 points per game, so only four-tenths of a point higher than Georgia this year. That dominant 2019 LSU team that just felt like they were never going to lose, that they couldn't be beat, they averaged 21.6 points per game margin of victory in the conference. So far less than Georgia is this season. So just to try to give you just a little bit of context, comparing Georgia to a couple of teams in the recent past, the dogs have been absolutely and totally dominant. And I think the part of this team that's not getting enough credit is the offense. Georgia is number 14 in the country in scoring offense at 38.4 points a game. They are number one in scoring defense, obviously, at 6.56 points per game. Um, you know, that just to update you, I've, I've done this a couple of times that 6.56 points per game at number one, that is 
just over eight points per game better than number two on the list, Texas A&M, who is at 14.67. That gap of 8.11 points per game, the gap between one and two is the same gap as between number two and all the way down to number 47, which is Fresno State. So um, the dominance that this team has on offense or on defense is getting a lot of talk. On offense, this team is better than people give it credit for. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go on the show today. What I thought was really nice being at the game on Saturday, and I'm sure they covered a little bit on the broadcast, but you know, Georgia really, for the day, took the day to honor Coach Rick, who earlier this season, it was announced, has a Parkinson's disease. Uh, seeing him and his, his wife Catherine at the game on Saturday, Rick before the game called the dogs. Uh, he was featured on the pregame video, uh, hyping everybody up. And then at halftime, had a special presentation where they brought him back out on the field again and got multiple standing ovations every time they said his name. The band spelled his name out on the field during the halftime performance. It was just a very, very nice and touching time. You know, for me, Mark Rick was the coach in the formative years of my fandom. You know, I I started watching in the late 90s, uh, so I was there for the first few years of Donnan, but it really... It, it's hard to explain to fans now who experienced the back end of the Rick years just what happened in the program from 2001 to, you know, 2007, really. And what I think is just, I, I say it'd be hard to understand. I, I think you actually have seen the same type of thing from 2017 to the current team. And I think the only thing that, Mark Rick didn't do is the only thing anybody ever wants to talk about, and that's obviously win a national championship. So uh, it was nice on Saturday to focus on what he did as Georgia's coach rather than the thing he didn't do. Because by the end, the fan base was so ready to move on, so, you know, right or wrong, disenchanted with 10 and 11 win seasons, but not being able to compete at the very highest levels of college football. I think we just lost a little perspective. And obviously, Georgia made the right move, moving on for Coach Rick, made the right move, hiring Kirby Smart. The program is in phenomenal shape. But just because the next guy has taken the program to the next level doesn't mean that Mark Rick was a bum. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be grateful for the 15 seasons that he had here. The way he represented the university, I think, is... it. it does get a lot of talk, but it probably still doesn't get enough talk. Uh, Mark Rick is a great man. He is a very good college football coach, and he took Georgia to the level to where it allowed Kirby Smart to come in and turn this thing around so quickly, second year being in the national championship game, a couple appearances in the SEC title game, and then obviously what we're seeing this year, the culmination of the Donnan to Rick to Kirby progression and hopefully that ends where all Georgia fans hope that it ends in the national championship season that we seem to be on at this point so a very nice moment on Saturday for Mark Rick very nice moment for Georgia and uh, it seemed that he was very touched I was touched when I saw him get emotional I got emotional Uh, so 
I, I know I was not the only one. As I looked around, I saw multiple people, you know, doing the quick swipe of the eye to uh, <laughs> to try to cover up the fact that maybe a tear or two was coming down uh, on what was just an absolutely gorgeous afternoon in Athens. For second down today, as we probably will for the rest of the season, we're just going to focus on the playoff. Uh, Tuesday night, the playoff committee released its rankings. We'll run through just the top eight real quick. Not a whole lot of change. The same teams, just the order changed up a little bit with Michigan State losing. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number seven, Michigan State. Number six, Michigan. Number five, Cincinnati. Number four, Ohio State. Number three, Oregon. Number two, Alabama and number one, Georgia. So before I even get into this, I I, want to at least point out or acknowledge the fact that there's no way for this committee, a committee, just one person, as I'm going to try to do over the next few minutes, there's no way to take a single philosophy and apply it to a top 25 or honestly to even apply it to a top eight and be consistent in every single way that you kind of parse through these teams. One of the things that makes college football so great is that it's so controversial. It's that we can have these discussions and we want to have these discussions and we want to debate who's better and who's who won on the field and who has the eye test and who has all these things. It's what makes the sport absolutely fantastic. So, you know, as as aggravating as it can be sometimes when you have to listen, you know, in this situation, you, you see the committee's rankings and just immediately, if you're anything like me, you start questioning how in the world could they put Michigan over Michigan State? We'll talk about that in the next few minutes. But you, you just start yelling at your television and then you realize it's a TV show and they're having fun with you and you're messing with you a little bit, but... This is why you love it. If you just watch the rankings and then they revealed the rankings and the reaction was, oh, okay, well, good job, committee, and you turn the channel, that's not nearly as fun. So getting aggravated, getting frustrated, that's actually part of the fun, as insane as that sounds, and I guess that's why we are called fanatics. Um, So the logic that the committee used was you know, you used one way early in the rankings and then <laughs> completely differently just a couple of uh, sl- spots later. It's obvious to me that if you're going on eye test, which is how they put Alabama at two, it has to be eye test, right? Eye test, the, the program's history, which is not supposed to matter, but it obviously does. Um, that's what gets Alabama at two. But if you go on eye test, then you can't put Oregon ahead of Ohio State. Because Ohio State has looked, I mean, this past week, nobody really looked good. But over the past month or so, six weeks, Ohio State has been way more consistent. They've been, you know, very good, kind of rounding into form. Whereas Oregon has just been struggling with everybody in the Pac-12. I mean, it feels like every single week they are in a fourth quarter game. So there's really no reason from an eye test standpoint. That's Eye test is how you get number two Alabama. But then they use the head-to-head win that Oregon had over Ohio State, which I think is completely legitimate, and I'm for the fact that these two teams played earlier this season, and it matters that Oregon went on the road and beat Ohio State in Columbus. If it didn't matter, then we should not play that game. You don't incentivize teams playing top 25 or top 10 in this situation, just those big matchups that we get excited to watch if we don't 
reward the team that wins, then we have no reason for those teams to continue scheduling and playing those games. So Oregon at three, Ohio State at four, based on that win that the Ducks had in Columbus earlier this year. Cincinnati moved up from six to five, which I think, I know that sounds like a a kind of a dumb thing with Michigan State at three last week losing. Well, duh, six moves up to five. Cincinnati has not looked good. And the fact that the committee was willing just to go ahead and bump them up one, I think is a really good sign for Cincinnati because in my mind, I don't really understand how the committee is handling Cincinnati the way they are, but then over here handling Oklahoma completely differently. Before we get to Oklahoma, though, we have the controversial thing this week, and that's that number six Michigan, number seven Michigan State, two weeks ago, not two months ago, two weeks ago, these two teams played on the same field and Michigan State won the game. Now, on my show that I do over on Armchair Banner, Fourth and Wrong, you know, I, I got heated this week for the first time. So if you if you haven't checked that show out, I encourage you to. I got heated at one of the guys, Mitchell, on that show because, you know, he, he says that, well, even though Michigan ended up losing that game, they looked like the better team the entire game. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to say, well, well, Michigan was better for most of the game. Hey, look, I remember watching a Super Bowl where the Falcons were the far superior team for most of that game. And if that counted for anything – then, um, you know, Atlanta would have a Super Bowl. But looking like the better team for most of the game doesn't matter. It's the final score that matters, and it's really all that matters. And the fact that just two weeks removed from Michigan State beating Michigan, the committee had the, I don't know what you want to call it, to put Michigan ahead of Michigan State, I hope they're just messing with me. I hope they're just messing with you, and I hope they're messing with us, right? Because if they truly believe Michigan's better than Michigan State, then I don't know why we play the games. We should just simulate this thing. We should just go off recruiting rankings. We should just go off of, you know, put the best, the most high-profile programs. Those are the ones we want in the playoffs. I mean, we don't even need a season. We could just have a a 14 playoff in September and save ourselves a lot of time. Um, You know, I, I said Oklahoma at eight. I don't understand how they're much different than Cincinnati. I mean, Oklahoma doesn't have a win like Cincinnati does against Notre Dame. But outside of that, they have just struggled. And Oklahoma's undefeated, just like Cincinnati. So how you have these one-loss teams in Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State, all those teams with one loss ranked ahead of Oklahoma, it, it baffles me a little bit because while I understand that Oklahoma has struggled They struggled against Tulane earlier in the season. They struggled on the road against Kansas. They still won the games. So just as a fan, I I just feel like college football has always been the sport where winning matters. I mean, that's why, you know, you have undefeated national champions. That's why you have these undefeated seasons. That's the, the focus on the regular season is because it's a grind and losing really is supposed to hurt you. But this committee has not punished teams who have lost and they have not rewarded teams that have won. I mean, outside of Georgia, obviously. But I think if they they really, in their heart of hearts, they would like to put Alabama at one because they feel like Alabama's better. And, and as a program, Alabama has been better. <laughs> but, but that's not what we're doing. And these rankings make me feel like this is like a programmatic, a popularity contest, more than an, an honest assessment of where college football is this year. Because if it's an honest assessment of this season and only this season, you can't 
put Michigan State behind Michigan when they have the same record and they played two weeks ago. And you can't have Cincinnati at five and Oklahoma at eight when they're practically the same team, except that, you know, maybe maybe Cincinnati has that one win at Notre Dame that the committee's really impressed with. Oklahoma plays in the Big 12, and they have played a much more difficult schedule than Cincinnati. So it it's it's not logical. And like I said earlier in the show, the good news about this is all of this is going to work itself out. I don't believe there's any chance that we find ourselves three weeks from now when the playoff rankings are are going to be released, the final rankings, really live it about anything. I, I, I just don't think that's in the cards this year. I think you've got so many teams that are going to end up playing each other and that it will get played out on the field. And and we're going to pretty much, as we usually do, by the time the seeding comes around, we're pretty, going to have a pretty clear idea. I will say I think one of the reasons they have number two Alabama where they do is it is absolutely the safest team to put it to. Alabama will either win out. They play New Mexico State this week. They're favored by 51 and a half. I think Alabama's going to win this week. So there's your uh, hot take of the week for me. They go, they have Arkansas at home, and then they go on the road at Auburn to finish out the regular season. They'll either win those three games and then beat Georgia, or they'll lose any of those three games or lose to Georgia. And if they lose, they're out. You know, I've got a lot of, I, I, again, on the show, fourth and wrong, I had some guys, you know, saying, well, wh- what's the chances of, of a two-loss Bama getting in? Listen, I can't say never because you can't, it would not surprise me if anybody, two through eight, I wouldn't be surprised if every single one of those teams picked up another loss this season, like in the regular season. I, I just wouldn't. They all have really tough games coming up, and it wouldn't shock me with the way the teams are playing and the way the the season is progressing and the matchups that we have coming up, it just would not be super surprising to see that happen. So is it I'm not gonna sit here and say on November eleventh that it's impossible for Alabama to get in with two losses, but it's extremely unlikely unless all these other teams just completely craft the bed here in November. So uh Alabama's the safe pick at two right now because they're gonna end up having to play Georgia and either they'll earn their way in by winning that game or they won't and and really after that then the committee has the wiggle room to say okay well now we're, we're shaking things up big time so it's interesting to me you know for the dogs it's just keep winning J- just keep winning this this game against Tennessee is it honestly uh they're not going to lose to Charleston Southern they're not going to lose in Atlanta to Tech to end the season so if Georgia wins these next this next game against Tennessee they will go 12 and 0 in the regular season and i believe that will make them a lock for the national champ or the, the 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 college football playoff no matter if they lose in the sec championship game or not now listen i i just win just keep winning that's the simplest formula for georgia don't give anybody the option to not put you in just keep winning um to me as as we progress over the next few weeks, Oklahoma and Cincinnati are the teams to watch. You know, if Oklahoma goes on the road and plays well, beats Baylor this week like I think they will, you could see the the committee be very dramatic with Oklahoma. They could take them all the way from eight, potentially up to two at that point, because then they're going to have that really good win, uh, probably a better win than 
I mean, maybe not better win than Oregon, but definitely a better win at that point than Alabama has uh, if, if they go on the road and beat number 12. So it'll be interesting to see how Cincinnati and Oklahoma get, get tough. Like, if, if they both keep winning, what will the committee do with them? Because my inclination is to say that they will be very generous to Oklahoma over the next couple of weeks. I, I don't think Cincinnati's going anywhere. I think C- Cincinnati is going to need some chaos to get in because I don't think this committee thinks very highly of them. And and to be quite honest, I don't think Cincinnati has played well enough over these last five or six weeks to make the committee put them in. I think it would be very easy to point to these close games that they've played against Tulsa and Navy and say, listen, they're good and they're undefeated and congratulations, you're going to go to a New Year's Six game, but you're not making the playoff playing nail biters with Davey and Tulsa. And in all honesty, whether it's fair or not, because they don't play in a Power Five conference, I, I can understand where the committee's coming from if that is where we end up in a few weeks. So playoff talk is so fun. Again, if you watch the ranking show uh, or if you see the rankings come out and you don't get infuriated, you're doing it wrong. This is supposed to piss you off. So uh, the committee's doing their job by keeping me and my blood pressure very high weekly. For third down, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about the overwhelming and obvious quarterback controversy that is brewing for the number one dogs. Every post-game press conference, every pre-game press conference, in the middle of the week, probably at the dinner table at home, Kirby is getting asked about the quarterbacks. And every single week, he is saying the same thing, which is not very much. He's given some kind of vague answers. He's, he, he, he says both guys are playing well. Both guys seem healthy now. JT's still getting up to speed, yada, yada, yada. When we've been at games the last few weeks, every time – there's an incomplete pass thrown by Stetson Bennett. There are groans, audible groans around me and calls to put JT Daniels in the game. Those who fail to study history are doomed to look stupid. So I modified the saying just a little bit here. Stetson Bennett is the starting quarterback for Georgia. Period. Full stop. That's it. He played the majority of this game against Missouri this past week. Once the game was decided, the backup quarterback, JT Daniels, came into the game and played the rest of the game. That's it. There is no quarterback controversy. And unless Stetson gets injured or unless he plays really, really poorly, nothing is going to change. Stetson Bennett's going to be the starting quarterback against Tennessee. He's going to be the starting quarterback against Charleston Southern. He's going to be the starting quarterback in Atlanta against Tech. He's going to be the starting quarterback in Atlanta again against whoever Georgia plays in the SEC championship game. And if Georgia advances to play in the playoff in the national championship game, Stetson Bennett is going to be the starting quarterback because Georgia is winning. They are winning dominantly. And Stetson Bennett is playing really well. Stetson Bennett this season, 80 of 120 for 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, only three sacks. Now, he doesn't have enough attempts to show up in the rankings. You have to average, I think it's 14 attempts per game 
to be in the like quarterback efficiency rankings and all that. So he would need 126 attempts at this point in the season. Right now he only has 120. But if he were in those rankings, if he had six more attempts, not even six more completions, I mean, I, you know, just six more attempts, he would be the number two most efficient passer in the country. Georgia is number 16 in the nation in completion percentage, 68%, most of that by J, uh, Stetson Bennett. Number 10 in pass yards per completion, 14.79 yards per catch. Georgia is number three in the nation in team passing offense, uh, team passing efficiency, I, easy for me to say, and number one in the SEC. Listen. In Georgia's most successful season under Kirby Smart, 2017, when Georgia won the SEC and played for the national championship, Jacob Eason came into that season as the obvious starting quarterback, and Jake Fromm was the backup. Eason got hurt, Fromm came in, the team excelled, and Jacob Eason never took another staff as starting quarterback for Georgia. He transferred to Washington. This is what Kirby did before. This is what he's doing now. JT got injured. Stetson came in. Stetson is playing really, really well, and the team is winning by a ton. They are dominating teams in the conference. They're going to continue to dominate teams. They are playing great. There is no need for anybody else. The The, the common thought process or the thing that I've heard people say is, well, Georgia's going to need JT Daniels to win a national championship. And I completely and utterly disagree with that. Now, is it possible that at some point in the SEC championship game or in a a playoff situation that Georgia gets themselves in a shootout? It could happen Saturday afternoon in Knoxville, frankly. If Georgia gets themselves in a shootout, do I think that when we're just talking about just having to go out there and just gunsling it and pass the ball, is it more likely that JT Daniels would be successful doing that play after play after play than Stetson Bennett? Yes, but Stetson has been excellent. He's He brings that running dynamic a couple of times a game that keeps defenses honest, and he's played really well, and he's done well getting the ball downfield. About once a game, he makes a throw he shouldn't make, but most quarterbacks do that. There's absolutely no reason to change things up. And let's be honest here. If this defense plays the way they have for the rest of this season, I could play quarterback and this team could win the national championship. There's just no reason to mess with things right now. So they're going to keep talking to Kirby again, pregame, postgame, at home. Everybody's going to keep asking him about it. He's going to keep giving similar answers. I don't think he thinks that JT is worse than Stetson. I just don't think he's going to mess with a streak. And if you haven't seen Bull Durham, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you have seen Bull Durham, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just ignore the last 20 seconds. You don't mess with a streak. And Kirby's not going to mess with it. Now, if Georgia goes up to Knoxville this weekend, gets themselves in a hole, Stetson's forcing it, not playing well, JT comes in, plays well, JT's back to being the starter. This is a beautiful thing. Last year, we had no quarterbacks. Stetson got hurt. He wasn't playing, you know, he, he played pretty well, but he wasn't playing well enough because the defense was so banged up last year that 
he wasn't able to be what we needed him to be last year. The defense is excellent this year, and he is enough for what we need. So if you are one of these fans who are sitting out there just waiting for Stetson Bennett to get benched and JT Daniels to come back in, you may be waiting until next year because I just don't think it's going to happen. And if you're a Georgia fan, you better hope it doesn't happen because I think it's going to take a loss or a super bad performance from Jay, from Stetson Bennett to to remove him as the starter right now. So don't don't wish that on us, I guess is the, the best thing I could say. Stetson Bennett is your starting quarterback, and that's okay. As we dig into the game for fourth down, I have to start in kind of what I, I would just be honest with you, it is an awkward position for me. Um, this podcast, maybe the best show I've ever recorded, was a couple of years ago. I don't even know if it's in the archives, honestly. It may have been before I start, started using Anchor, so you might not even be able to go back and find it. But I did an extensive, in-depth dig at Tennessee and everything that they have done over the past 15 years or so to just absolutely torpedo their own program. And for me to start fourth down and to start the preview of the Georgia-Tennessee game by telling you that I am thoroughly impressed with Tennessee is very unnatural, uncomfortable, and I don't like it. Tennessee has had a very good year. When you consider where this program was, when you consider where this program is, what they've been through for the last few years, the fact that they have a winning record, that even if they lose to Georgia on Saturday, they could win their next two games, go 7-5, and five, and play in at least a decent bowl game in Josh Heupel's first season. That is almost a miracle. No kidding. It's absolutely insane. So I don't want to go in-depth on the problems, but just as a, as a recap, 2008, they fire Phil Fulmer, they hire Lane Kiffin. Kiffin dumps them <laughs> after one season, doesn't even make it through a whole season, dumps them at the you know and runs off to USC. They hire Derek Dooley, the safe pick. He's a disaster. He gets fired after three seasons. They hire Butch Jones. They become champions of life, but they don't win anything else. And then they move into, they fire Butch Jones. Now the coaching search happens. They wanted to hire Greg Schiano. There's a revolt on campus because, quite frankly, of lies that came out about Schiano and his role in the Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno scandal at Penn State when Schiano was on staff there. So Schiano doesn't get the job. The former AD is meeting with Mike Leach when he gets a call and is told to come back to Knoxville. He's fired. Phil Fulmer, the coach that was fired in 2008, is put in as the athletic director, and he hires Jeremy Pruitt. Pruitt comes in and tries to rebuild Alabama circa 2009. Amazingly, that didn't work. Then you have last year, in the middle of a pandemic, there's this scandal about giving money away in McDonald's bags, and Tennessee self-reports to the NCAA to, to bring them on campus so an investigation can start, so they can fire Pruitt with cause and not have to pay the band's buyout. Their new athletic director, after Fulmer was fired, comes from UCF, and that athletic director turns around and just hires the last guy that he hired when he was at UCF, and he brings in Josh Heupel. Now, that was about two minutes of 
what was 15 years of just disgraceful crap. When I was coming up, Tennessee was one of the best programs in the country. We're talking about Peyton Manning. We're talking about T. Martin. We're talking about every Clawson brother you could ever think of. Tennessee was a perennial power. They won multiple SEC championships. They were a very, very good program. They have not beaten Alabama since, I believe, um, this may be wrong, but 1950. I mean, it is just ridiculous at this point. That's their crossover rival. They can't beat Alabama. They barely ever beat Georgia. They can't beat Florida. This team, they they have turned themselves into South Carolina. That's what they've done. They took a program that for 30 seasons, 31 seasons, from 1977 to 2008, two men, coached that team, Johnny Majors and Phil Fulmer. And Johnny and Phil Fulmer was a Johnny Majors player. So, I mean, it was as, as cohesive as you could ever get in college football. From 2009 through 2020, so 11 seasons, six different coaches, that includes some interim guys, but six different coaches have coached a game in the last 11 seasons for Tennessee. Heupel came into what was an impossible situation and through nine games, he may be the best coach this year in the SEC. If the season ended right now, I think he's the coach of the year in the conference because he took a disaster and made it not a disaster. And as impressive as Georgia is, the job that Heupel has done, I honestly believe is better than the job that Kirby Smart has done this year. Kirby's built a better program. So if you're going to give a you know coach of the last six years, okay, take it and give it to Kirby. But this year, Josh Heupel has done an amazing, amazing job. Tennessee is five and four. They're three and three in the SEC. Most likely, they're like I said, they're going to end up seven and five and four and four in the conference. But more important than the numbers, more important than the win loss record in the conference overall, they are fun. They're just fun. Their rushing offense is 18th in the country. Their scoring offense is 15th in the country, 38.2 points per game. Total offense, 21st in the country. They're averaging more than 450 yards per game. They have been competitive. 62 points on the road at Missouri. 45 points against South Carolina. Last week at Kentucky, 45 points in a win over the ranked Wildcats. No matter what happens on Saturday, Tennessee can go 7-5 and five in the first season and make a bowl and, and really make themselves a team to keep an eye on. With what's going on with Dan Mullen at Florida, with the fact that Kentucky just got beat at home by this Tennessee team, South Carolina is in a rebuild, Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt, Georgia is obviously the cream in the, of the crop in the East, Missouri looks completely lost. Now, they have a great recruiting class coming in, but right now this team that Georgia played last week, they they just look absolutely awful. Now, they didn't have the starting quarterback, but still, they did not look like they really had a lot of a threat. And boy, did they talk a lot of trash, especially their defense. Talked a lot of trash for a team that ended up giving up 43 points. Tennessee legitimately could be the second-best team in the SEC East this year. But moving forward, they could position themselves to get back in the conversation to make an SEC championship game in the next three years or so. And 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 just eight months ago, that did not seem possible. So let me tell you about some of their key players. Offensively, obviously, offense is where we're going to kind of focus because that is you know the, the strength of this team. Hendon Hooker 
the quarterback. He didn't even start from the beginning of the season. You know, they had Joe Milton, the former Michigan quarterback, started the season for them, but they pretty quickly moved over to Hendon Hooker. 1,900 yards passing this season, 69%. Uh, completion percentage, 21 touchdowns. Listen to this, folks. 21 touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's also rushed 112 times for 457 yards and four touchdowns. So he has accounted for 25 touchdowns so far this season. They have two main running backs that we're going to talk about. Tion Evans, 81 carries, 525 yards and six touchdowns. Jabari Small, 76 carries, 387 and four touchdowns. Three wide receivers that we're going to name by name: Velas Jones, thirty-six catches for three for five hundred and fifty-three yards, five touchdowns. Cedric Tillman, thirty-six catches, five twenty-five, five touchdowns. And Javante Payton, fourteen catches for three hundred and sixty-five yards, six touchdowns. Their top five receivers all have more than ten catches on the year, and all are averaging. 10 plus yards per catch. This offense is absolutely on fire. They have a lot of firepower and they can score. They can score a lot of points and they can score a lot of points quickly. If you watched Tennessee play Alabama earlier this year, they put a legitimate scare into Alabama for two and a half quarters. I mean, Alabama was scoring, but Tennessee was coming right back, and they punched with them the whole time. You know, there was a big controversy about three weeks ago because the Tennessee fans thought that the the refs made a bad call at the end of the the, uh, Mississippi game, Ole Miss game, and they threw a bunch of crap on the field. But the fact that they were even in that game against a very good Ole Miss team uh, was, was interesting. Georgia fans that are listening to this, be ready, okay? Tennessee's offense is absolutely going to challenge this Georgia defense in a way that they have not been challenged so far this season. But it's going to be good for Georgia to get this experience, especially on the road in Neyland Stadium. They just announced on social media this tonight, Thursday night, it is going to be a blackout in Neyland Stadium. They are going to be wearing black jerseys uh, for Tennessee. So it's going to be an atmosphere. This offense is going to challenge Georgia but it's not going to matter. Georgia is just too good. As good as Tennessee's passing offense is, Georgia has the number two pass defense in the nation, allowing only 151 yards per game passing. Georgia is 13th in the nation in sacks, 28 sacks in nine games. Uh, Obviously, if you could do some math, that's about three sacks per game. Tennessee is 124th in the nation in sacks allowed. So Georgia has 28 sacks on the season. Tennessee has allowed 33 sacks on the season. In the last four games, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Carolina, they've given up five sacks to Kentucky, five sacks to Ole Miss, three sacks to Alabama, six sacks against South Carolina. This is why Georgia is going to win the game much like Georgia did to Clemson in the first game of the season. The vertical passing attack is great, and that's where Tennessee is going to try to be able to get downfield quick and make those big plays. You cannot do it if Jordan Davis is killing you in the backfield, and that is what Georgia is going to do. It's going to be Jordan Davis. It's going to be Michael Carter. It's going to be Devontae Wyatt. It's going to be the linebackers, N'Kobe Dean. It's going to be Nolan Smith. 
these guys are going to pin their ears back and they are going to go absolutely crazy rushing the passer. And Hendon Hooker, for all of his success that he's had through the air, he has been sacked 27 times this year. So Georgia is a tough, tough matchup, not just because their pass defense is good, but it's why is their pass defense good? It's because they pressure the quarterback. And they can pressure the quarterback while still while still playing good defense on the back end. Keely Ringo has really come into his own this season. He is locked down as the, the starting corner opposite of De'Arian Kendrick. Th- this defense is not just – everybody talks about the front seven, and for good reason. They are spectacular. The back end of this defense has really progressed as the season has gone on. Georgia is going to be able to slow down this passing attack. Now – Are they still going to have some success? Absolutely. I would be surprised if Georgia doesn't give up more points to Tennessee than they've given up to anybody the rest of the year. But that may end up being 20. Defensively, Tennessee is not good. Just period. They are 108th in the nation against the pass, giving up 265 yards per game. They're 68th in the nation in rushing defense. 123rd in red zone defense. Opponents have scored on 33 of 35 attempts inside the red zone. 79th in scoring defense and 77th in penalties per game, averaging nearly seven penalties per game. Tennessee is going to get mollywopped on Saturday afternoon by the number one team in the country. Now, Tennessee is also going to do more against that defense that any team has so far this year. I gave you the stat earlier in the in, in the show. First team since 1992 to hold all of their opponents in the first nine games under 14 points. I think that streak will end on Saturday. It's just a perfect matchup for the Dogs. Tennessee's going to hit some big plays, but the Dogs are going to end up winning this game, and I don't think it's going to be incredibly close. When I was a student in 2006, Tennessee hung a half hundred on us uh, between the hedges. So I'm going to be there on Saturday afternoon in Knoxville. I want to see Georgia hang half a hundred on Tennessee uh, up there in Neyland Stadium. So Georgia 55, Tennessee 20. That's going to be my prediction for the game. And that's the way it is. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. It has been a special season for Georgia football so far this season. I expect it to continue all the way to the SEC championship game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium on December 4th. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this weekend's games. And as always, go dogs.